Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Foo followers around the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. Remember, if you want to support this show, we have a donations link available via PayPal. Simply head over to paypal.me forward slash Kung Fu Movie Guide to donate. This podcast is very much a one-man operation, so any donations you make will be greatly received and will be put back into the upkeep of this show. A huge thank you to any who has donated to the podcast already that is fantastic thank you so much to get in touch with the show you can email me on hello at kungfumovieguide.com we also have our social media accounts on instagram and facebook under the name at kungfumovieguide we are also on youtube and x formerly twitter at kfmovieguide Keep up to date with all the new episodes of this show as they drop by subscribing wherever it is that you get podcasts. And if you do that, please do leave us a star rating or write a review. That all helps to spread the good word of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. You can also read the latest martial arts movie reviews, access our archive and find all our contact information via the website kungfumovieguide.com. Thank you for listening to this episode and now on with the show. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight... Then I'll oblige. (laughs) Hello there, food followers around the world, wherever you are, listening to this episode of the show. Welcome. Welcome to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast with your host, Ben Johnson. That is me. It is November 2023. This is episode 93. And I have a very special conversation to share with you all today with the great Vincent Lin. Vincent's a man for all seasons, you might say. He's a martial artist and kung fu instructor, a very successful musician and recording artist, a humanitarian who runs his own foundation called We Can Save Children, and an actor who worked for many years in Hong Kong at the height of the golden age of Hong Kong action cinema. He was a token Western villain in films like Tiger Cage with Donnie Yen, The Blonde Fury with Cynthia Rothrock, and probably his biggest role was opposite Jackie Chan in Operation Condor, that's Armour of God 2, from 1991. Lots of great stories from his time in Hong Kong coming up on today's show. So I'll be throwing over to that in a minute or so. We are already planning our end of year show 2023. Regular listeners to this podcast will know that every year I meet up with the action movie expert Mike Fury. We exchange a few Christmas presents and we share our top five martial arts films from the year. 
The list has been put together, so the wheels are in motion. Of course, at this time of year, we'd love to hear from you, the loyal Foo followers, about your favourite fight films from the year. If you do want to get involved in the show, then please do send over your recommendation for Martial Arts Film of the Year to our email address, which is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Let me know the name of the movie you love the most in 2023 and the reason why, and it could be read out on our end-of-year show. You can also send me messages over social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and X, formerly Twitter. Still can't quite get used to calling it X just yet. Have a think. Let me know. We would love to hear from you for that show. Okay then, without any further ado, let's get going with today's episode. I spoke to Vincent Lin in October of this year, 2023. I was here in London and he was at his home in Connecticut. I was very fortunate enough to actually meet Vincent in person at Ricky Baker's regular Kung Fu Cafe event, which he holds here in London. That was a few weeks before this conversation was recorded. And I was with Mike Fury at that event. I think there's a photo of us with Vincent Uh, on social media somewhere I'll be sure to send that out over our socials as well anyone who has any connection to working in Hong Kong action movies during the 80s and 90s always has an incredible wealth of stories to tell and Vincent is certainly no exception of course Vincent has since gone on to excel in lots of other pursuits since he essentially retired from making movies in the 1990s Vincent is probably better known internationally now for his music he is a grammy award nominated classically trained piano player with lots of albums under his belt his latest is called elysian eclipse it's an immersive album which is accompanied by a series of videos it's sort of ambient it's kind of jazzy it's got classical elements in there there's quite a lot of genres going on anyway it's very good stuff i was listening to it earlier today in fact and i will be sure to put a link to more details in the podcast description all the videos for Elysian Eclipse are available on YouTube. You can also listen to the album now on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music and all the usual places that you find music. Vincent also runs his own humanitarian non-profit organisation. It's called We Can Save Children. Head over to wecansavechildren.org for more details. Here's what the charity does according to the website. It says, whether these children are orphans, refugees or just poverty stricken, our primary mission is to protect and provide aid to these at-risk children, no matter where in the world they may be. Our goal is to provide funds, resources and guidance to help these children survive. It's a very worthy cause. Vincent can often be found travelling around the world talking at the UN or meeting with various dignitaries and world leaders to to find solutions to the issues facing particularly some of the world's poorest and most vulnerable communities. So he's doing some great work there. I will be sure to put a link to the website in the podcast description. The charity is called We Can Save Children. Okay, that is it from me. I will be back at the end of this conversation to sign off properly. But until then, here we go. Here is my conversation with the great Vincent Lynn. It was nice to meet you in London recently. Um, yeah. You were over for, for Rick's thing. Did you have a good time when you were over here? 
Yeah, I did. It's um, to be honest, it's uh, it's always rushed. It's uh, never long. It's never long enough, unfortunately. Do you have family here as well? Because I know you. You know, you grew up here, so. Well, uh, I do. Uh, I do have some family. My nephew there. Uh, both, of course, my mom died eight years ago, and her sister, who lived in Colchester, just recently died. So I was there for the funeral. I do have um, a lot of uh, strong connections. You know, colleagues there, uh, specifically in London. But again, it's really <clears throat> more focused on my humanitarian. Uh, and my foundation that's why i've been back and forth speaking at houses of parliament and and so forth yeah so this is we can save children that is correct you set this up a, a while ago but it's really i mean I, could I you did. just I, I started yeah. it um, nine years ago actually my foundation um really its main initiative is to uh, rescue and recover children caught in conflict countries <laughs> which they're quite there seem to be more and more these more days more. yeah yeah so you know because of that the, the past nine years have um taken me to you know some of the most dangerous uh spots countries in the world from you know uh, sudan south sudan to parts of uh, nigeria to uh uh iraq to syria yeah. to Lebanon, palestine ukraine um, and of course, Ukraine, yeah. Do you mind me saying you're you're 64 years old? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a no-brainer. Anybody can Google my name and Google see. Google that. Yeah, I haven't had it changed and dropped 10 years or whatever. <laughs> no big deal. I wanted to just ask that in the context of your training. Are you still you still yeah. train regularly? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you adapted your training at all? course you have to um yeah you, the, the study of martial arts is is for for an entire life time mm. but if you train the way you do at 20 or 30 there's no way you're going to be able to sustain it at 60 or 70 or 80 yeah. absolutely no no way you will be injured hips knees elbows ankles yeah um and i've seen it time and time again Mm-hmm. And that, this is also the reason why I think it's so important for um, martial arts, martial artists who've been studying a long time to veer away from practicing external martial arts and mm-hmm. focus more on internal martial arts, you know, forms of Tai Chi and Qigong. It doesn't yeah. matter. You're just going to do everything slowly. No, you still have to, you still have to do, um, you know, lightweight, high repetition, uh, weight training. I think it's really important to, you know, just to keep the bone density and bone marrow strong and do a lot more, um, you know, aerobic, anaerobic exercise uh, together mm-hmm. with, you know, lots of uh, forms of uh, flexibility training, stretching, yoga, Pilates, whatever, whatever you want. But incorporating all these things, yeah, because they're all... Yeah. We're all really important for longevity because that's what yeah. it's about. Yeah, exactly. And you're feeling good. You feel good. I feel good. I, I'm congested coming off because I've been flying so flying. much. Yeah, of course. I wanted to ask you about Lingar Kung Fu. You still training in that? That's your sort of family. 
I taught I taught a class uh, I taught a class on uh, Wednesday. Great. I used to have a, a couple of schools in Connecticut. They were very uh, successful. Um, more than two hundred students in the school, and um, it was a, it was a full time operation. Um, yeah. I also had a health center that part of it with acupuncture and uh, forms of massage and all these types of thing and. Um, <clears throat> So, obviously, I don't have them anymore because my life has turned 360 degrees. But yeah. a group of about a dozen students who've been studying with me off and on for some two decades plus. So, if I'm when I'm around, <clears throat> I take the you know the ride into to Stanford, and we we just. Uh, spend you know half a day you know training doing kung fu tai chi and so and of course my family system of course you're the 22nd generation practitioner of lingar that is correct somewhere yeah who's your students will continue this then through the through the generations i hope i hope unfortunately if we're going by chinese tradition you know it gets passed down from you know grandfather yeah son and so forth or however the family lineage is unfortunately it kind of in many ways stops with me because my my son was he tried it for a little bit but he just you know yeah. it's not it's not for everybody so it wasn't yeah so of course then it has to go to i don't have a daughter so just the one son so yeah it has to go to um senior senior students but you've written about the subject a lot. You've done yeah, instructional yeah, yeah. video. There's a lot out there, isn't there? That's kept there's the name going. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, damn your ass. What are we to do with you? You started martial arts from, I think you were eight. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. 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 Long, long, yeah. through family, long uncles, long practitioner of Tai Chi, though for an eight, nine-year-old, to see this kind of stuff looking like slow dance, you know, an eight, nine year old is not going to have any patience to do that. <laughs> but my father's two brothers, one was a, a pr practitioner again of um, external uh, martial arts and the other one was an uh, internal martial artist. So even though I, it was around me all the time, just like music was, I think yeah. that's a really important thing, especially to, um, Especially for children, you know, uh, when music is being played, uh, piano is being played, or you know, I think many children will start to, you know, move towards those art forms, whatever it might be. Yeah. And I certainly, I was very fortunate to be around both because, you know, from my mother's side was the music, father's side was the the martial arts. So it was kind of both of these um, art forms parallel my my growing up. Yeah, uh, and I took on both pretty much very, not quite at the same time. Uh, the music I really didn't start piano lessons with my mom, and it was considered very late. Not until it was I was thirteen years old. Mm -hmm. uh, it's considered very late, especially to go, you know, to onto conservatory level, yeah. university conservatory level. So, but they became. Um, once, once they became really serious in my life and practice and daily practice, um, yeah, they've just been a parallel throughout my entire life. The connection between the music and the martial arts is 
does one complement the other if you found that as you you know as you've worked on both definitely definitely um it's uh kind of been um kind of a solace really for me especially um especially regarding the past 10 years of doing uh, humanitarian work because so much of it is very um mentally uh, both mentally and physically uh draining you know mm-hmm. um seeing horrific things for me i can always and i always have gravitated uh to uh just sitting at the piano and just uh just playing just improvising or thinking about anything just really just delving into the keyboard you know and it's the same with uh, with martial arts of course yeah, so one can just delve into being one with um, themselves and the practice, uh, the breathing, and you know, so it's a good thing. And so, if any, if anything, it's uh, it's quite healing. Hey, don't be tricked by him. He's got iron feet. This is all happening in the UK, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's, yeah. that's where I grew up. We didn't emigrate to the states until I was uh, I was sixteen years old. So you were growing up in the what's that in the seventies in England? Mm-hmm. Fond memories of that time? Oh yeah, excellent. Whereabouts in England were you? I wasn't born um, in England. I was born in Yemen because uh, my father was uh, drafted into the Royal Air Force. Uh, but you know, formative years. So we lived in Oxford. Um, we lived obviously. We lived on the uh, Royal Air Force Base in Abingdon, uh, yeah. in Oxford. Then we were in uh, Acton, and then yeah. Kew Gardens for maybe nice. four years, I think. Yeah, that was the last um, before we left for the United States. You're growing up there in the real kung fu boom. Um, <laughs> you know, that's like. You know Bruce Lee and Shaw Brothers sure. and all yeah, the kung fu movies, and then and you're in. You know, it sounds like you're in the thick of it there in London, and then obviously moving to New York as well. Yeah. You know, in the seventies, that would have been incredible. Yeah, no, no. Well, you know, it's also one of the reasons, <clears throat> and this is not anything new for any kind of martial artist or serious martial artist. You know, once the advent of um, seeing um, Bruce Lee. Um, well, for me personally, it changed my um, just how serious my daily practice became. You know, it became right. kind of like um, a drug in a way. You know, yeah. All I wanted to do was practice. Yeah. Do you remember seeing him for the first time? Yes, I did. Um, it was it was actually uh, when Enter the Dragon opened. Yeah. And I saw that in the in the states. So it opened July '73, uh, and then after when we went back, because we were here in the states on on holiday, we hadn't moved until the following year. So I remember that summer seeing that film, um, <clears throat> and then we went back to England. And um, which film was it? Oh, it was Chinese Connection had opened and it was yeah. it was in Leicester Square and I remember it being uh, rated X <laughs> yeah you know because of the use of the nunchaku right they, yeah yeah how did you get in my parents took me 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, did they like Bruce as well? Yeah, I mean, it was you know, yeah, yeah, it was, it was he was the deal, right? So, can I just pick up on something? You were acting. I mean, you went to Rada. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Poet, yeah. Poetry and prose. Amazing. But you know, I can't look. Let's get one thing straight. It's oh, he went to Rada, then blah, blah, blah you know. Um, I yeah, I got distinctions in both poetry and prose, but I didn't go to Rada to study as a as an actor. That was never on my radar. Right, not, right. Not at all. And even though I went to Boston Conservatory of Music, I knew I never wanted to teach music piano. No way. I didn't have the patience for that. And so you know, you finish university and pretty young, you're like, shit, what am I going to do now? You know, yeah. my here in the front of my brain was always, I want to do something with martial arts. But at that time it was, I'm going to open up a school mm. and I get some students. And that was kind of where the direction I, I, I wanted to go. Of course, I never thought about film for sure. Man, my yeah. focus was to open up a school one day yeah obviously you were training a lot but you were competing as well weren't you yeah i was um you know it's um it was at a time i i, I took many seminars um with both um bill superfoot wallace and don the dragon you know uh, both are friends don don don's a really good friend uh, together with cynthia you know because <clears throat> We always pass each other through of course. certain events, and we've traveled a lot to, to many different parts of the world at events, certainly more with, with, with Cynthia. But those, those two gentlemen were, you know, were, the, were the legends of they were the, the best. kickboxing world, and, and still are in, in my eyes, you know, yeah. and in many. So it's always the case. I've always felt this through martial arts or music, if you want to get better, yeah, you can, you can practice six, 10 hours a day, but that doesn't mean you're, you're, you're practice, you're doing perfect practice. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Bruce Lee mm -hmm. said that, you know, mm -hmm. <clears throat> he, he practiced, oh, I did a thousand kicks today. Yeah, but did you do them all correctly? Without a coach, just checking and to see, if you're doing it right, or you know, only then is it is it really going to get to the next level? And so, yeah. throughout my entire life, um, up until even today, I mean, I gave a concert at Carnegie Hall, December second, so of, of last year. It was a benefit for uh, Ukrainian uh, children, and I. Um, I'll call on a piano professor coach uh, who I've been using since the first concert I gave at Carnegie in 2011. And uh, well, she used to be in New York, but she lives in LA, but we'll do it via Zoom, you know, just set up the camera and she can see what my fingers are doing. And, and it's funny because a, a colleague of mine says, why do you, why do you still need a teacher? You should be the one teaching. I said, it's not about that. I said, you should know better. You've been studying martial arts your whole life. It's not about that. I said, you know, I'm using, I need another ear. And 
an ear of her kind of level, and that is her skill. She's a professional piano coach. I am not a piano coach, right? Mm. She needs to hear what I'm doing and then say, I, maybe you need to adjust this and, you know, slow down here, speed up, whatever it might be. And so, um, yeah, it, that is the most important thing. So you, yeah. if you want to get to the next level, you've got to study with the best people out there. If Yeah, yeah. If you possibly can, yeah. Yeah. So I love the expression, you know, once you get your black belt, that's when the real learning begins. <laughs> oh, I always, I always say the black belt is just an advanced beginner. Yeah. No, and, and it's, yeah. I'm not making fun of someone who has a black belt. No, but you, okay, you've gotten to a certain level, five, ten years, whatever it might be, but you, yeah, you're an advanced student, but an advanced beginner. <laughs> I want to talk, obviously, about the Hong Kong years. Yeah, sure. You must get asked about your time in Hong Kong a heck of a lot. I do. Yeah. <laughs> but you were, I mean, all in all, how long were you living out there for? Was it, it was probably, what, five, five years or so? Is it, was it even that long? No, it was longer because actually what happened was... Um, I'll even back up a little because maybe a lot of people don't know this. Um, I went to Hong Kong in nine. The first time I went to Hong Kong was 1983. 1983 was even before Cynthia, you know, because Cynthia yeah. did Yes Ma'am 1985. So mm. there were obviously a number of uh, Western actors at that time, like Roy Horan, yeah. um, you know, uh, John Ladalski, who had been doing early stuff, right, uh, before really the Golden Age took off. Um, so I was there in 83, and I actually, um, I still have the letter today. I'll always keep it. And I, I, I don't keep a lot of memorabilia. Um, but I went to meet with Lockie Ling, very famous producer at uh, Shaw Brothers, the summer I went was when Fuseng died in the car crash. Yeah. Alexander yeah. Fuseng. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to uh, Shaw Brothers, took photos and, you know, news cuttings, what have you. But I actually um, uh, was given a, a three-picture deal with Shaw Brothers back in 1983. Wow. If, wow. if it had happened... If it had happened, it, my probably career might have been might have been very much different than it than yeah. it than it was five years later, and when I did move to Hong Kong in 1988, <clears throat> um, obviously, you, if I said said that, people are wondering then, well, if you got a three picture deal, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, without getting into a long diatribe. Um, Basically, it, it fell apart because of uh, a marriage divorce I was going through. Right. At right. That. Yeah. So yeah, it didn't come to pass. Um, but you know, I've always I always keep that letter just to remind me of just how things can go you know you just don't know what direction it's the sliding go. doors of life isn't it you don't know one what one decision well, the thing is you know yeah. as 
as uh, sad or upsetting as it was for, at that moment, you know, I, um, I had come back to Hong Kong in the beginning of, 90, well, it's, it's the end of 87. And I remember I was with a friend, well, kind of slash girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And she was a, a kind of a finance uh, geek working on Wall Street. And she had some meetings with Noble House in Hong Kong. And she'd never been to Hong Kong before. And she said, you know, you've been to Hong Kong. Why don't you come and you can show me around? And we're sitting in the Regent coffee shop on Kowloon's side. And I'm sitting there. And who walks in? Jackie Chan. With four, God. Yeah, four goons around him wearing the black suits and what have you. And I looked around and I'm like, holy you know, expletive. I'm like, damn, it's Jackie Chan. So he <clears throat> walks with these four goons all the way to the end of the coffee shop. Um, right at the end, they have a table ready for him. So I'm like sweating, you know, like, <laughs> God, I got to go up to him, get his autograph, something, say something. So having, you know, brunch and she says to me look just walk up what's the yeah. worst that can happen you know he says no he tells you to piss off mm. he says she says it's very doubtful especially in this kind of setting you know regent hotel five star hotel what have you yeah but this I, is the height of his fame as well my gosh exactly. 87 exactly. wow so i was carrying around these uh composite Z cards, you know, that I would hand out a few pictures on it, you know, and at the time that was the kind of the way we, we were doing things, you know, whether it was modeling or what have you. <clears throat> so there were three pictures of me. One was a headshot and there was these two martial arts poses, you know, with my name and what have you. So I, I started walking down towards where he was sitting and he, cause he was facing, uh, inside so he could see me coming so as soon as I got close to the table you see these four guys start to you know move yeah. you know. <clears throat> and I, I said you know I'm a huge fan I'm here in Hong Kong da, da, da. and I said could you just please sign this photo so as soon as he saw the photo of course he sees me in martial arts poses he says oh you, you, you practice martial arts I said yeah I'm here in Hong Kong I'm you know just trying to See if I can, you know, break into the industry, what have you. And he signs this in, he said, good luck, you know. And the how ironic that, um, you know, five years, four years. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. Be, You're sparring with the, yeah, the legend yeah. himself. So yeah. crazy, you know. So you were working as a, a, a model as well before that. I'm just trying to see where you must have had an interest in the camera and, and putting yourself forward. I know you said that you didn't yeah, want to be an actor necessarily. People. I was doing a little modeling, but it wasn't anything. It was nothing, you know, a couple of bats yeah. here and there. You know, I wasn't... Um, <clears throat> um, wasn't making enough money to buy fish and chips, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, Which are very expensive now, by the way. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Not then. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until, yeah, it, it wasn't until because of 
my kind of the 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 ride or the the, the wave the success of of film that I you know I got signed with Elite modeling agency and it's one of the most famous next to Ford in, in the world so I got signed mm -hmm. within five years so that happened while I was in Hong Kong right and what so what was kind of very interesting for my personal career more so than any other of the Hong Kong Westerners in Hong Kong at the time and and, and as you know there weren't that many there was probably mm. a dozen of us who were regularly doing film, you know. Mark Houghton, Mark Houghton Jeff Falcon, Falcon um, Steve Tartelia, yeah. Bruce Fontaine and, and Bruce um, Fontaine, yourself, Cynthia, obviously. Well, Cynthia, yeah, though I kind of put yeah. her in a different uh, yeah. position, but um, but yeah, there was there was a handful of us. There was 10, 12 of us maybe. I don't think even that. Yeah. Yeah, Winston obviously was, uh, you know, Ellis yeah. was there as well. Um, but uh, Robert Samuels is another one. Robert Samuels, yeah. He was under, you know, Samuel Hung's kind of wing. So, yeah, uh, we all um, prolifically were, you know, bouncing around from one set to another, you know, and yeah. that's what it was. And we were kind of, because we were so small in this clicky unit, hey, this is happening. They need such and such. They need a couple actors for, for that film or for that film. And that's why we, we did, it was surreal. That's why we, we were working so much. Um, yeah. Which is unheard of. Are you still mates with a lot of those guys? No. The only no. person I'm really close with is Winston Ellis. Yeah. We just had an event in England where I received an award in journalism. He might be really close with. And another one is Vincent Tuatin, who was from, who he was in Drunken Master 2 and a few others. Yeah. So yeah. he moved with his family from Singapore um, and he's living here in New York. He and I are very close as well, too. Yeah. So just, just those two people. You must have had a lot of common ground in the sense that you could sort of share war stories in a way of being, you know, the villains in a lot of these movies and just, you know, just get in. We were, we were all Get villains. your ass kicked. Yeah, no, no, of course. We were, yeah. we were all villains for sure. Yeah. But what I was, uh, <clears throat> was going to say was that um, unlike... Uh, the other actors who were there specifically to uh, for the martial arts films, you know, I was able to actually uh, it was kind of uncanny in a way. I was very I was able to utilize all the <laughs> the ammunition that you know I have in, I guess in my arsenal in terms of so was doing the film, but then got signed with Elite. So I started doing ads for like. Gucci and Levi's, Yves Saint Laurent, mm -hmm. things like that, which, which then I was able to do like TV commercials. I, I did one for Adidas, you know, in Japan and, and Puma and so forth. And then I got um, uh, signed with Polygram Records to write for Hong Kong pop stars. So uh, I actually, uh, and that was later, that happened in 95. So that's right, the right. you're asking me how long I was there. I moved there in the spring of 88, started working on Tiger Cage, all the way through 19, 20 films later through Operation Condor. Mm. After Condor premiered, I decided to, so here we're talking 92, 
Um, I still stayed in Hong Kong. Um, 93, I moved to LA for one year. And mm. a bunch, of, I thought, hey, I'd try my luck, why not? Um, but uh, it wasn't, um, I interviewed with a lot of like very big casting directors, did some stunt work like in Best of the Best 2 and Ring of Fire with Don Wilson and, I, and yeah. a few other things with, you know, PM, PM Entertainment, putting out yeah. those types of films. But it, it just, mm, I kind of, um, I really didn't like the L.A. scene at all. And so what I decided to do was move back to Hong Kong. At that point, the music, <laughs> it's always how things work. Um, I got signed with actually the most famous Hong Kong lyricist at the time called, his name is Pun Wai Yun, because obviously I was speaking Cantonese pretty good, but of course I can't read or write. So mm. he was the lyricist. So we would work, to, we collaborated together and wrote some things together. So I was, wow. I was, yeah, I was really fortunate that I could utilize all these things, but you know, they didn't happen all exactly at the same time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mr. Chen, don't worry. I'll fix them. No problem. It was Yan Ping, or it was uh, an audition with Yan Ping that sort of sparked this whole thing. Is that right? It was, yes. Yeah. Um, they had already started production of Tiger Cage. Um, the female in Tiger Cage, the, the Western female, she was actually supposed to originally play the lead villain, the right. boss. She was the yeah. boss. And when I met with producers from these four film companies, so Golden Harvest, I met with Raymond Chow, I went met with Cinema City and also with uh, Samo's company. Cinema City, Samo's company weren't doing anything at the time. I was told by Raymond Chow, you know, he said, if you spent six months in Hong Kong, you know, you've got a good look. He says, you're bound to get something. So you yeah. can't afford to stay six months. And then, of course, I met with uh, uh, Fish Fong, who was Yun Wu Ping's uh, 30 year plus 35 year plus partner yeah um, Fong Li Kwan yeah Fong Li Kwan and yeah. I'm very still we're like he's my Dai Go I just yeah. spoke with him the other day. he's actually really he's coming to my son's wedding next month wow yeah. 
So I'll be in Hong That's Kong cool. month. So yeah, he'll be coming to that. Um, so it was because of Fish that um, I met him, and he saw my stuff. He says, "He says, okay, you need to. I've got to set up an appointment for you to meet Yun Wuping. We're working on this production. Of course, B and D and B at the time, or Dapo was." Um, a fairly new company that was obviously mm. formed by Dixon Poon, you know, the entrepreneur yeah. married Michelle Yeoh. Um, and of course, there was a lot of stars being groomed, Cynthia Khan and, and, and of course others, and of course Michelle Yeoh and others, mm-hmm. um, especially female actress, action act, actresses. Yeah. So, yeah, I met Yoon and it was interesting because um, couldn't speak a word of English. Fish was translating, and we met in this tiny office that is about the size of a of a bloody bathroom. You know, <laughs> it was a big desk in front of him. He was sitting behind the desk, and I, I swear I've said this story before. And I'm looking around at the floor space. You know, I I, I must have had like four five feet of space around me to, and I was wearing these jeans that were bloody tight, and you know couldn't. <laughs> My, my, bring my leg above waist height and and fish said just do something like you know be, talk, talk about being put on the spot but yeah. then go that's it comes down to those moments yeah. and you're not ready to just perform at a hundred percent it doesn't matter if the pants split or what have you that's the thing you got to do it you know yeah so um well, you must have impressed them because they well, yeah, I guess cast so. you in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you know, and and uh, yeah. So they, what they did was they changed the whole um, format of the film. They made uh, you know Corey my kind of silent partner, and I took the lead uh, of the uh, of the triad boss. What an experience to be working in Hong Kong at that time. Were you a fan of Hong Kong movies anyway? Um, no, I was a fan <laughs> of Shaw Brothers movies. Ah, the old the Seriously old kung stuff. fu movies. Yeah. Okay, I had yeah. kind of I didn't know of these new this new these new films that they were putting out. Yeah, not at all. So <clears throat> I kind of knew who Yun Warping was because of Snake and Eagle Shadow and the early yeah. Hunter Master, right? But all these Hong Kong film stars, the new ones that were in Tiger Cage, it was kind of like, it was like a Hong Kong Expendables. They had everybody in it. Everyone, you, yeah. You, as you know, you know, Donnie Yen basically really is for, I mean, he did Drunken Tai Chi, but who knew about that? You know, it yeah. was Tiger Cage that really, because then Yun was now, he groomed Jackie. Now he was grooming Donnie. Yeah. 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 So, um, so young Donnie Yen in it, and you know Simon Yam, Dudu Jang. I mean, all these others. You know. Yeah. And then using some of the old Shaw brothers like Wong Lung Wai and Beardy. Yeah. Yeah, Lung Kai Yan's in it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, geez, you know, and all the the Yun Wuping, uh, Yun Chan Yun, you know, his brother. Yeah, and, all his brothers. And all yeah. the family doing all the stunt work. So, but I didn't realize. At the time, for me, it was like, oh, this is fun. This is great. You know, 20 years old doing this. I, I didn't realize the level of really what was happening at the time. Yeah. 
it wasn't until after, and it wasn't until really they had the premiere. And we all went to the premiere, and I remember sitting in there. I had a couple of American friends um, who were in the garment industry who I invited, and we're sitting there. And I remember I knew when my scene is coming up, well, the first shot of me. And all I remember was seeing my profile, and I th and I looked at myself and I said, "Holy shit! My nose is taking up the whole half the screen. That's all. <laughs> That's all I could see was my nose. I looked like yeah. Jimmy Durante or something, or Carl Malden, you know. Um, yeah, but when the film was over, it was like yeah. you know." It was like the watching, you know, uh, Bruce Lee come out of, you know, uh, yeah, big boss. boss. No, seriously, yeah. it was walking out. People are going out of their minds. I'm standing outside, and then people are starting to point at me. Not point at Yem Datwa or you know Yun Mo Ping or whomever or Dudu Jang or whoever. Started pointing at me, and like, oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah you know, like it was, it was kind of like. Oh, this is kind of cool, you know. I can, I can, I can, yeah. I can work with this. I think it's eighty-eight films did that really great box set recently. It's got all, all of them, all of them in, in there. There's some of your home footage in that. Never been seen before. I waited yeah. years for the right moment to, to to put it out there, and I know it's real grainy because it was just done on a what kind of a camera was coming out at that time. It was a friend, uh, then girlfriend, who came to the set. Yeah. She would. She was staying at the region like three months, and she would always bring cakes from the from the uh, the pastry shop at the region hotel for the for the set, you know, because she really wasn't supposed to be filming background stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondered that. Yeah, yeah. so she got this like I don't know. I think it's like six minutes of like real grainy footage. Yeah, I, but Donnie's Donnie's in there. Yeah, you can see it. Yeah, but I kept yeah. on. I, I held on to it. And I'm glad that finally it's it's there forever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was being so silly, you know. It's about a hundred and ten degrees humidity. Humidity. They had kept yeah, and you're wearing your suits, and everyone, yeah, yeah Ping's not wearing any suits, top off and no, everything. No, and and you're still every, wearing your suit. Every shot we did, they would take the jacket off because it was drenched, and they would iron yeah. the sweat out. I'd put on another jacket, and then another jacket. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> Bastard, I didn't know who you were. Once you saw the movie and then you saw what a hit it was, were you then thinking, okay, I've got a career out here, I've got a real stepping stone, oh. I can really capitalize on this? Uh -oh. No, <laughs> no. No, I was ready to get back on a plane and open the school like was planned. Right. I had about what I had done because from the uh, initial divorce i moved back in with my folks and had this huge basement i set up and you know like a gym and i had about like 30 you know 35 private students coming in every coming once a week so i could see that okay the school it's now ready we can start i can and i thought when i got the opportunity to do tiger cage and everyone thought wow that's so great you know and then, of course, I had, there's always the naysayers, ah, it's not going to work out. You'll be back. You'll be back. So then you have that in your subconscious saying, you know what? 
You can kiss my. It's going to work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was ready to actually to to do the film and come back to the states and open a school. That I, that's what I was right was my plan. But with the success of uh, Tiger Cage, within ten days, I got a call from Golden Harvest to do Blonde Fury. Mm, yeah. So and I I I I took the role from John Ladalski. Right. Okay. I didn't he's know that. the one. Uh, God bless him. Um, yeah. R.I.P. He he's the one. He was so kind of because he'd been there for so long already. Yeah. He knew this person and that and this, so he knew a lot of people. So it was like always keep your ear open and listen to him because you know he's got more experience than me. Um, but he's the one that told me about they were looking for uh, a new westerner for Blonde Fury. He thought he was in it. Right. They were looking for one other person, but obviously, what ended up happening was it was two new faces: Jeff Falcon and myself. Yeah, and he, yeah. He didn't get the part, which was uh, he was a bit upset about it, but it's just the nature of the beast. So, and then of course, <laughs> you're working on a film that got shelved for more than a, a year and a half. Um, they didn't know what to do with it. Now they bring in, you know, Yun Kwai Koryun. Um, kind of take over for Manhoy, of course, who was in it anyway. Mm-hmm. And he kind of vamped the film. They needed to add more action and a whole new, th- you know, this whole crazy thing with the netting in the end. With and the rope, yeah. Ropes and... Uh, Someone was quite badly hurt on that, weren't they? Yeah. 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 yeah, I think a couple of people were. So, yeah, so here I was now working another with one of the most other famous action directors in Hong Kong, you know, but again, um, and meeting obviously Cynthia for the, for the first time, um, mm. you know, I was going to ask you that Vincent was that cause I wondered if you maybe met her when she was doing the form uh, circuit in the States. No, 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 not, not really. Um, and then, you know, uh, meeting Jeff, Jeff and I were ha- would hang out at hot gossip quite a bit. You know, right. discotheque, you know, so yeah, then working with Jeff and, um, yeah, so, but again, it still didn't really kind of dawn on me. It was still too early yet. It, it, it took, yeah. it took some time. It was still kind of like, oh, this is so fun and this is surreal. <laughs> this is surreal. We're just having a good time, you know. Um, uh, the interesting thing about that film is that I thought Corey Yun hated my guts. Yeah, okay. I thought he hated my guts because yeah, I was still so raw to this thing. And he think you know, it's a really good martial artist. <clears throat> but now you're having to relearn martial arts for film. Mm. It's completely different. But, and you're thinking in your own brain, oh, but I never would do that. Yeah, but that's how it's got to look. Yeah. And so I'm learning. Uh, and, and there's no kind of like uh, instruction manual. Here. You know, you're learning as you go, and you make mistakes. You know, and so I remember one night, uh, me and Jeff have to do this fight scene in the back of the uh, these eighteen wheeler containers. It was a fight scene with Manhoy. I think Manhoy was fighting Jeff, and I was fighting. Oh, what's the other famous Hong Kong actor? Chin Su Ho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to get the timing. Couldn't get the timing. I'm like feeling like I've got two left feet. I'm like, oh man, I just can't get it right, can't get it right. Corey's sitting on a 
stone wall next to one of the stunt guy and they, you can tell they're talking back and they're shaking their heads and <clears throat> uh, Corey's flipping these, cracking open these peanuts, you know, shelled peanuts. And he just, boom, like that. Hits me right in the forehead. I'm not thinking, wow, that was good aim. I'm thinking like picking up a stone and throwing it back at him. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. I, I was angry. I was pissed inside. Yeah. Know? But, you know, I, look, got to be humble. This ain't, this ain't my time or my town. I'm just, you know, the hired help for the moment. So bite mm. your tongue, try your best, and, and just, you know, do, do the best you can and be yeah. and always be humble. Yeah. Um, and that's always been one of my adages, you know, to people. You've got to be humble. Don't forget where you came from. And the funny, interesting thing is how that played out a couple of years late, later, when I got a call from uh, Frankie Chan to do Outlaw Brothers, <clears throat> he was, he was actually film. such a good movie. <laughs> he had called me to do the movie he did uh, previously. Before, yeah, uh, um, Is that Burning Ambition. Burning Is that Ambition. That one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was supposed to also be in that, but my mother got very ill, and so I had to fly back to the states uh, mm. for a couple of months. Uh, but yeah, Burning Ambition and. Frankie called me to his office and um, sitting in there w with him across from the desk room. And he, and he says, I'm doing this new film. It's going to be great action, fast cars, um, kind of a take on a, an American film with Charlie Sheen, No Man's Land. Right, right. That film, it's about stealing Porsches and all this stuff. Right. Um, God, I can't, I can't believe I just remembered the name of that film. Yeah. <laughs> But I do remember seeing it. So yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, it's going to be very international and fast cars and you know, and all this stuff. And I'm going to use a big Western cast. I said, okay, thanks. You know, when you want me to audition, he says, no, you don't have to audition. I said, really? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I said why? He said, well, I spoke with Corey Yun. <laughs> wow. And I was about to like, oh Christ. And he said, quote, he said, he says, of all the foreigners, you're the, you are the best to work with because wow. you don't complain. And I thought to myself at that moment, I said, wow, you know, if I had thrown a, a, a hissy fit mm. and would have worked out, I might have got even blackballed in Hong Kong. Mm. He's mm. a pain in the ass to work with, don't work with him. So, yeah, you know, all these kind of lessons along the way, and especially for a young person, you know, full of vim and vigor, you know. How dare you? I treated you like my own brother. Nobody's your brother anymore. Get him! Was it hard at times, do you think, to, you know, playing the villains in those in some of those movies and just taking the hits? No, no. Um, no. You know, look, everyone said, always asked me, well, how come you always play the villain? Mm. You don't really look like a villain, but you always be the... I said, think about it. It's a Hong Kong film. And I said, who plays the villains in Hollywood films? Russians, mm. Latin Americans, Asians. It's, it's always, uh, you know, others from other parts of the world. It's not <clears throat> white Americans, you know. I said, yeah. it's a Hong Kong film. It's Chinese star. They're going to use Westerns as, as villains. It's, it only makes sense. So, mm. 
So no, I never thought of it, you know, like, oh, you know, wish I could play the lead or something like that. No, I mean, even, um, even when my career, uh, I should say, switched, and of course, um, how the money changed in terms of how much money I was getting paid, you know. And it happened when I, when I did uh, Middleman in the Line of Duty 5. Yeah. Was, and this was another thing about Hong Kong film that was so crazy is that I was supposed to be one of the leads in that film along with uh, David. Mm. So even though I was playing his brother in it and even though I was – yeah, uh, I was this kind of Navy SEAL, but selling secrets to the Russians and all this stuff. You know, if you look at the film, I mean, every scene, every other scene, I'm in it for the first like 25 minutes. And then all of a sudden, I get killed, like in the most dumbest way in an alley by these two clowns, right? And you're like, it's funny because when people watch that, friends of mine say, wow, you're in every scene. This is great. And then you died. I didn't want to watch anymore, you know. And yeah. I, they said, what the hell happened? I said, well, they didn't really have a script and they didn't know what to do with me next. <laughs> so they, they just decided just to find a way to kill me. And that is what happened a lot in Hong Kong film. Yeah, I yeah. I was going to ask you that. So just describe, like, just rocking up to set – I mean, would you have known even what you were doing that day? No. No. Here's another thing. Just to give you it as an example, and it's a good, I think it's a good example. Once I got uh, signed to do uh, Operation Condor with, with, uh, with Jackie, right, I was working on two others at the exact same time, Robotrix and uh, Fury and Red. So I was working on those three films, kind of back to back. Jackie calls Wong Lung Wai, who was doing a lot of the directing on Fury and Red, and says, you have to kill Vincent off. Because, again, I had one of the lead roles. I was supposed to be in that film all the way to the end. Yeah. He says, you've got to kill him off because I've got this massive film, so find a way um, to do it. Jackie's the tiger on the mountain. Everybody else has to kowtow and listen to what he has to say. Yeah. So I probably would have had to do this stunt under other circumstances, but because Jackie's film took precedence, <clears throat> the scene where I get thrown in the ocean or flipped in the ocean, that was a stuntman, of course. I wasn't even there that day. Yeah. It just, the film ended. You're finished. You just take, get taken off the production yeah, and, and then away you go to the I next one. To, you know, I was going to uh, Condor set, you know, every day for, for, for months. This is a huge movie in... Jackie's career as well. It's a real turning point for him, Operation Condor. You know, huge budget, but of the first movie of his to have a real like Western sensibility to it. Yeah. You know, filming in Europe, also in the Philippines, I believe. You know, it was a real globe trotting yeah. movie. Your experience on that set, I mean, how long were you because obviously, you know, Jackie can film and film. Uh so how long were you were you there on that on that set working on that movie? For months <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I can't tell you exactly how many days I wasn't counting <clears throat> yeah. I was only counting the money I was getting no yeah um, no actually that was in a, in a way it was true but um, the strange thing was is that 
when it initially casted, um, I went on the first um, auditions along with everyone else, Bruce and, you know, Mark King and everyone else, you know, jumping through hoops like a bunch of seals, you know. It was like, took a half a day. And I wasn't chosen. Um, and uh, along with uh, Mark Houghton, both, either of us were chosen. So I was fine, you know. Uh, the movie had started. They were in uh, having issues, of course, I heard in Sahara and Marrakesh, you know. It became Jackie Chan's Apocalypse Now type of thing. Yeah. That's what they were comparing it to. And then, of course, they get to the point, you know, he had an original script by Aldo Sambrell, the famous Spanish villain actor who was in it, and that was tossed in the garbage. Then they got to, as always with these many films, we've got that ending again, and we don't know what to do. And Jackie was, at that point, directing, producing, choreographer. Yeah. You know, too many, too many hats. And um, not a clue what the... That we're going to do next so auditions were called again and so i was called up again i said i'm not going to jump through hoops for you and i was speaking with chris lee he was head of the jackie chan stunt team i said come on we've worked together on a number of films you know i can do this stuff you know yeah. by after 20 films i said you're looking for someone what do you want to do so um sign a contract I said, how many days? I said, 10 days. I said, okay, fine. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be no 10 days. And of course, they use, you know, uh, dyed Kenny, Lo Kenny Lowe's hair. Because Kenny yeah. Lowe's always the one. If they can't find anybody, we'll, you know. Get Ken Lowe. We'll bleach Kenny Lowe's hair, yeah. his head, whatever we have to do, you know. So... 10 days in makeup and every, you know, few days, Jackie would come down and look around the corner. No, nah, no, nah, he, he's too good looking to be a villain. You've got to make him ugly. The makeup was a disaster. They couldn't get anything right. The makeup changed every time. Every day I was on set. Um, and finally, after 10 days, my contract is over. And I went back upstairs to the producer. I said, contract is over. Pay me the rest of my money. I'm, I'm out of here. He says, what do you mean? You haven't started in one day of filming yet. I said, well, that's not my fault. I said, you know, if you plan better, you could have done this properly. So I said, you know what? Forget about a contract. Because at this time, by this time, I knew how the system worked in Hong Kong, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, you've been there a few years at this point. Every yeah. day I come, just pay me cash at the end of the day, and let's call it even. I said, okay, we'll do it that way. And so, of course, I chose the right thing to do because this went on for months. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it became the 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 ironclad the funny story going around hong kong and you know vincent lynn and his bag of money sitting in the closet because <laughs> there was actually one period of 39 days where i was going from one set five days was going from robotrix back and forth to uh, condor so i never got five days it's five days without sleep and then robotrix was over and there was another 34 days where i was on the condor set and I would go home and I just throw the money in a brown paper, you know, shopping bag. And there were two yeah, yeah. 
you know, after 39 days, I had two days off. And I said, oh, I've decided to count all this money. And I threw it all on the bed. And I had rubber bands and, you know, stacks. I mean, it was so ridiculous. It was so it wow. was surreal. Yeah. And then I never so did go to the bank. I just stacked it, left it in the, in, the, in the closet. And people said, man, weren't you ever worried? I said, man, I never thought about that. <laughs> you have to be the best father we've had in a long time. Yeah. No one's ever on top for long in this life. That's how he worked, or certainly how he worked back then. You know, he would just have the luxury to just take his time. And then if the set piece or the, you know, whatever the finale, the big fight scene was going to be, he'd just organically let that happen. But when you're sitting around, that must have been really frustrating. It was really organic, and it was also, you know, the amount of money that was being, <clears throat> in, in many ways, wasted on that film. Because, yeah. You know, you know, some days I'd be sitting in makeup out for three hours, and a new fangled car would come from Japan, you know, from Mitsubishi, and he'd, he'd say, "Hey, Vincent, come and come and check out my new car," and he'd be sitting there in the lot on Golden Harvest, and he said, "Yeah, oh, look at that computer, this," and he'd be playing Game Boys, and I'm like. <laughs> Man, are we going to film today? Yeah, we're going to make a movie. Yeah, yeah. Or, and then some days, you know, Jackie would just, where is he? Nobody would know where he is. He'd lock himself right. in his, his um, in his office because he didn't really know what he, the next shot was going to be. So that's how I'm kind of confused uh, and unorganized the, the the film became. You know, it's a wonderful sequence, though. <laughs> you know, no, with no, the wind machine bodies flying around. At the time, it was like, what the hell, you know? But um, yeah, looking back, but it's always it, that's always the case. And I so many times of the things I've done, you know, at the moment you think, what the hell is this? And yeah. when you look at it from perspective, you say, wow, that was that was really amazing, you know? Yeah. Were you coming away from set then just thinking, how on earth are they? is this going to look good? Like, how is this going to be pieced well, together? We, 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 we joked around so much. I, I, yeah. Look, as hard as we worked and as painful as it was, we spent so much time joking around, laughing half the night. But <clears throat> mostly Jackie was the instigator of it. Right. He's the biggest kid in there. Yeah, yeah. Even though... Again, on the the balance, he's also a perfectionist. So yeah. he would do 30, 40 takes for one shot. And you, you'd, be, you'd be tired. Yeah. Mm. You'd be tired. Was that the most exhausting shoot then out of all the films you oh, made? Definitely. And most painful because, you know, harnessed and wires and all this stuff. Yeah, it was, it was very painful. That proved to be your last movie then in Hong Kong. Did you just think, well, gosh, I've just worked on the biggest hong kong movie that uh you know has ever been produced i've worked with jackie chan you know at the height of his powers that's you can't get much better is that how you felt um it's interesting because when you get to a certain level where are you going to go from that you can always yeah. come down but you don't want to come down. You want to keep going uh, up. Mm. Where do you go from there? You know, you can't always do great movies. You're going to do bad ones. 
I mean, the, the greatest actors in the world have done some pretty bad movies in their career. Yeah. It's impossible to do good film. You go in with the idea of trying to do uh, the best, give the best performance. Hopefully it's the best product. Um, but that's not up to you. <laughs> it's not yeah. up to you at all. Yeah. Don't know what's gonna, what's the end game. I think at the time, um, I probably know I could have stayed and continued on looking back. But again, you know, um, again, looking from perspective. And there was a period where I kind of was kind of, uh, down on myself, you know, mm. got a little depressed from things, you know, because here you are doing all these amazing things. But at some point, it, it can't stay that kind of energy for long. It's got to come down a bit and then it might rise up. But it, it can't stay at that. It's just nobody's career stays like that. You know, there are moments where it has to dip. And it's, you kind of get depressed, you know, for a moment. Mm. I think um, mm. later, because my lifestyle at that time was so um, surreal and maybe kind of heady, you know, unrealistic in, in many, many ways. Um, mm. Finally opening the school um, in the beginning of... I remember it was April Fool's Day. I opened it in 90, 1996. It's probably the smartest thing I've done because what it did was it, it grounded me. Yeah. Because it's a business. My name is on the marquee. Mm -hmm. If it fails, it's on me. Um, mm -hmm. I can't be off gallivanting around. People want to see Vincent Lynn. They don't want to see his instructor. You know, so I'm the one who's got to make it work. Um, I'm the one who's got to get it off the ground. So basically, I would say for the first year when I had the school open, I didn't take a day off. I think I might have took July 4th and Christmas Day, but I was there every day. You know. By the mid-90s as well, even a lot of the Hong Kong talent was looking elsewhere. Jackie, Jet Li, John Woo, Chai and Fat, well, the big names. That's true. Were... That's, you know, don't forget that's also because people were really frightened because of the changeover in July of 1997 yeah. back to, yeah. uh, you know, China. People were freaking out of, holy crap, what's going to happen? And mm -hmm. so this is why Hong Kong had a huge recession. And uh, the industry changed forever. Yeah, uh, it's people, never really come back. People, you know, big business were pulling out their money. Fish saw what was coming and he tried to warn, uh, you know, Yun at that time. And of course, um, what happened, of course, again, how, how always things seem to turn is that that's when Yun got the call to do the first Matrix. Yeah. And that changed again the career. And then changed it, the game. Yun and, uh, Yun and Fish were, were in California, you know, doing, uh, I think, well, was it Matrix in New Zealand? I don't remember, but wherever mm. it was, you know, they were, <clears throat> again, that changed everything. Is that one-eyed bastard here? Who the hell are you? You dare call our boss that? When you look back, who 
impressed you the most? Because you worked with some legends. Well, all the legends. <laughs> of course, first, I would, have to, I would have to say Jackie Chan, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, I've seen him quite a few times since then. Yeah. Some quite funny stories. Last time I He says you're the best person he works with. I don't know what he was smoking, so God bless him. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe that's why, you know, we've, we've, I don't know, remained friends in in some way. The last time I saw him was just before Kobe when he was uh, promoting his new autobiography. Yeah, the book. Yeah. It was just hilarious because, you know, I saw him at Barnes & Noble and as soon as he saw me, he dropped everything. Yeah. I, I felt bad for the person whose book he was signing. <laughs> but, had, you know, Access Hollywood was there, E Entertainment, <clears throat> and some other network. And he just dropped his stuff and he ran over, yeah. you know, like um, some long lost lover or something. You yeah. Know? And he screamed out. <laughs> it's very sweet. Yeah, no, he screamed out. Yeah. You know, there's a video of it, you know. There is, yeah, yeah. Still can't pronounce my name after all these years, you know. But, yeah, um, I'm going to. I don't know if he'll be in Hong Kong in, in next month. He spends a lot more time in China than ever, but I know yeah. he still has his home in Hong Kong. So I, I'll try to, I'm going to make a point of seeing if he's there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Jackie, definitely number one. Huge respect for, for uh, Simon Yam. Right. Yeah. One of my Brilliant. friends. And I, I always remember something that has stuck in my head f- for forever. And I and I say the story to other musicians, actors. You know, he told me something on Tiger Cage. He said, "Look, just remember something." He says, "No matter how long you stay in Hong Kong, no matter how many projects you do," he said, "Never not do a project." It doesn't matter. He said, "It doesn't matter if it's one day." He said, "Don't say, ah, oh, no, I'm, I, I can't do one day. I'm, I'm, don't think you're above it." He said, yeah. "Do." Everything. It doesn't matter how crappy the, the project is, do it. He said, that's how you get better. Hmm. And he says, it's actually the, the lesser films, the, the lesser budget films, the crappier the movie. He says, that's when you actually have to work harder. Yeah. He said, and he said, because it won't last. And he said that on Tiger Cage at the beginning of my career. And I, it stuck with me, and I'm like, God, why did he say that to me? That's like depressing, but it stuck with me in a in a, a positive way. And he was right because nothing we do lasts; it has a time, however, and it could be a long time, right? It could be ten, twenty years, but it will end at some point, you know. Yeah. So it stuck with me. So I would have to say Simon, and then I I, I have, you know, as much as it, I always have this kick back and forth. I have to give credit to Donnie Yen. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's always a pain in the ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're out there, Donnie, and you do listen to that, yeah. I have a lot of respect, but you're a pain in the ass. Because um, he's always had this, you know, uh, God, his ego has been big, you know. Uh, but he's extremely gifted, extremely talented. Oh, absolutely. Extremely steadfast and hardworking and beyond all that and beyond all his talent I think what is and believe me you know his career 
I, I, it's probably been very difficult, I'm sure. Um, I, I can't even fathom, you know, some of the things mm. probably had to deal with. But anyone who can have that long sustaining career in the industry got to have respect for it because it's it's probably only one percent that can have that long sustaining career most uh, working actors get a project here don't work for six months might get another project here but as a what we would consider an a-list actor for his career to have sustained that long since tiger cage <coughs> with all the films that he's done um, it's really remarkable. So I got it to him. And that's why I put him on the list. You must look back at that time with great fondness. I mean, this is that is not going to be repeated. You, it's I know people try to recreate that style of filmmaking. And a lot of there are actually some really great YouTubers now who are capable of doing doing that. But surely that just proves just how influential those films and that period yeah. was on action cinema i mean it's well, it's incredible yeah. isn't it and I you was, were there you were part of it i would have to say and and um uh, my my brother there um from another mother bobby samuels you know yeah uh big shout out to you my man yeah uh, we always say looking back at that that time um <clears throat> that it's cemented in, in history for even generations of now 20-year-olds who are focused on watching that genre of, of many hundreds of films from that time period. Um, yeah, and that's what they're learning from, you know, as action filmmakers, uh, influencers yeah. and, and the like. But yeah, as Bobby and I say, you know, we look back and we realize we had no idea. We were so young. We didn't realize the influence those films would have on the generations now and probably after. So it, we kind of, I guess, in many ways, we are cemented in, in what is called the golden age of Hong Kong cinema. So yeah. for that to be said is, I, I guess, who would have known? And it's so it's quite something and it's quite special. Yeah. Well, it's. It's amazing, and it's. I've really enjoyed just looking back at a lot of the movies you were in as well. Just preparing for this chat, you know, it's still these films still, yeah. you know, have such a power and resonate, and they're still just wonderful. It's just great entertainment, isn't it? You know, it's it, it, incredible. It, that's it. It's it's just fun, you know. Yeah. 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 Thank you so much for your time and all the best in, in everything that you're doing and you're doing great work as well in a lot of your humanitarian work. So you know, hats off to you for for all of that yeah, thank you next time you're over in the in london <laughs> let us know definitely, yeah. definitely. i will do definitely. i will much appreciate it thank thanks, you thanks vincent bye 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 vincent lynn there such a great guy so talented and multifaceted he has achieved so much and it was great to talk at length there, particularly about his time in Hong Kong. I do love hearing those stories about those incredible high-energy stunt-filled movies that they made. 
back in the golden age of Hong Kong action cinema. Vincent was there in the thick of it. He's got the injuries to prove it, I'm sure. Uh, And thanks to the hard work of companies like Eureka Entertainment and 88 Films, you can now see quite a few of Vincent's movies in glorious high definition on commemorative Blu-ray releases, packed full of great new audio commentaries and extras and all sorts of goodies. For example, the Tiger Cage collection, which is from 88 Films, that is particularly fantastic. Go and order that if you don't have that already. And I recently worked my way through the new Eureka release of The Blonde Fury, also known as Lady Reporter. That's the film that Vincent appeared in with Cynthia Rothrock. Vincent does do an audio commentary on that release with the great Frank Jang. Frank, of course, joined me on our tribute show to Jimmy Wong Yu, released uh, last year. We should say, of course, that Mang Hoi, the great Mang Hoi, who directed Blonde Fury. Well, we should say he directed the first version of it, obviously. That went through quite a lot of uh, alterations afterwards when Corey Yoon got involved and did all the reshoots. Um, Mang Hoi actually passed away just before my chat with Vincent Lin. Mang Hoi died on the 9th of October 2023 at the age of 65. Such a huge loss to the Kung Fu movie world. He was such a significant part of Sammo Hung's stunt team. Often confused, of course, with Yen Biu due to his incredible likeness to Yen Biu, but also Mang Hoi was a Kung Fu movie star in his own right. He's in Yes Madam, Zoo Warriors. He's in Legacy of Rage, of course, with Brandon Lee. The movie to check out, though, particularly for the old-school Kung Fu movie fans out there, is the 1980 film Buddha Assassinator. Mang Hoi stars in that with the great Wong Jang Lee. Love that movie. Go and check that out if you haven't seen Buddha Assassinator. Uh, Armour of Gods 2, Operation Condor. There's a lovely Blu-ray out there from 88 Films. That was released a few years ago now, but I'm sure you can pick that up from all good retailers online. And finally, we mentioned Robert Samuels there, Bobby Samuels. Uh, He was my guest on episode 84 of this show Bobby was another key player in Samo's stunt team. He's got some great stories about his time working in Hong Kong movies. So do go back and check out that episode if you enjoyed listening to this one. Link to that show in the podcast description. You can also keep up to date with all the latest Vincent Lin news by following Vincent on Instagram and Facebook. His name on both of those channels is Vincent.Lin. Dot 50 that's the digits five zero and that is it for today's episode a huge thank you to vincent lynn for talking to me and a big thank you to you for listening all the way to the very end of this episode thank you so much if you did enjoy the show then please do leave us a star rating write a little review tell your friends do what you can to help spread the word of the show i will be back in two weeks time with another conversation with someone from the world of martial arts movies but until then please do take care be well stay safe and i will speak to you all again very soon on the kung fu movie guide podcast bye for now Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.